Welcome to Pure Hustle Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 111. Whoa. Triple ones. Triple. There's something super special about this episode because it's triple ones. There's something special about every episode. <laughs> that is true. That is true. We can't say one is more special than the other. But we really are looking forward to this one uh, just because we want to start off the year right. Even though it's some, one of those, like for me, I'll be honest, it's one of those things that kind of like, oh man, like I'm going to lose like hours of my life because I was terrible at doing this. And Mark's going to, well, I haven't dropped his name yet, but. That's okay. It's in the title. Oh, it's in the title. That's right. Okay. So Mark, who's going to be coming on, is going to help us so I don't end up doing the same things all this whole next year. Yeah. No, and that's that's exactly right. So, you know, we're coming into a brand new year, which is a great opportunity for a fresh start uh, and even kind of reflection of the year past and looking at um, ways we can fix mistakes maybe we made there uh, and then going into a new year and ways to make sure that we're not going into 2021 going, oh no, I did it again, right? So uh, today we're going to be talking to Mark, not your dad's CPA, uh, and he is amazing. He's uh, a reseller and he is also a numbers guy. He knows how to uh, keep track of, of, you know, spreadsheets and stuff to make sure that you're uh, making the most profit that you can make, that you're you're actually, you know, know what you're spending, where you're spending it, which really helps when it comes to like tax time, which I know is something that um, a lot of new resellers and even veteran resellers struggle with. So uh, we're really excited to have Mark, not your dad's CPA on. Welcome, Mark. So Mark, Thanks, tell us- happy to be here. <laughs> Sorry. So, hey, tell us a little bit about, you know, that we have a lot of new listeners that, you know, maybe I've never heard of you. I know you are like the tax guy in the reselling world, but hey, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, where they can find you and what, what's going on. Yeah. So my name is Mark Two, and I am a, I'm a CPA and I specialize in e-commerce. So, you know, most of my clients sell on eBay or Amazon or Poshmark or, or some platform. Um, not everybody, but, you know, that's that's what I specialize in now. And I have a, um, a small Amazon FBA business on the side with a partner. You know, it doesn't take too much of my time. But, um, you know, that's something really cool to have. And it, it, it gives me, um, you know, a lot of insight into what all you guys are dealing with and helps me feel more like more part of the community. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I'm, I'm based in Utah right now. Got a family, a bunch of kids and, uh, yeah, it's just, just a, a fun community to be a part of. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's really cool that, like you said, so, so you're primarily like the numbers tax guy kind of thing, but you also on the side, you're doing the reselling, uh, which gives you like the empathy with the, with your clients, right. Which is what I think a lot of people miss because this is a unique field and I'm sure there's some, um, some things that are the exact same with any other business. And there's probably some things that are a little bit different. Uh, and the fact that you're, you're hands-on in it, you, you can kind of relate to the, uh, to your clients and to other people who are doing the reselling. So can you tell us a little bit about your reselling? Like, how did you get into that? What is, what is your, your model look like? How, how does that work? Yeah. So you guys, you sent me that question and I was, um, you know, I was curious cause I went back and, you know, I, I have my financial records. So I, I opened up my QuickBooks and, uh, you know, made a profit and loss by month to see like when we formed the LLC, when we made our first product, like when we had our first sale. Um, cause I couldn't have told you that off the top of my head, but, um, <clears throat> when was it? So like, I don't know, three or four years ago now, like, so my friend, one of my best friends had a brother-in-law who was selling a product through Amazon FBA, just like one product. And he was making profit five or $6,000 a month. Wow. And we were just like, what? Like, 
you know, we, we thought that was crazy. So for like a year, we just talked about it like, oh, we got to do that. Oh, yeah, we got to do that. But we never did anything. Mm. So one day I was like, OK, we're doing this. So I, I, I formed an LLC because he and I are, are in a partnership together and we just wanted to start it out that way. Um, and uh, yeah, and then it was like. That was in that was in like late 2016. And then we didn't even do anything for like six more months, you know, so like we really dragged our feet. So then we started getting our first product samples like we were looking for a product that we could sell online. So we we had a few um, manufacturers in China send us uh, samples. So you're talking about private label just just for all the new resellers. You're talking private label. Yeah, this is a basic private label model. And then we actually ended up changing the product we wanted to do. But anyway, we we eventually found a manufacturer. Um, so between the time that we formed the LLC and the time that we actually got our first shipment of, of inventory of this one product, it had already been a year. Oh, wow. And then it was like um, three more months before we had it on Amazon and we're having our first sales. Mm. So like in our first month, I think we sold 30 units um, and we were like, Hey, that was sweet. You know, like we just sold 30 units by just making this really simple listing. And, um, you know, a a few months later we decided to add a few more products. Um, so let let me see. Our first sale was in August of no, November of 2017. Um, you know, so it was like 300 bucks we made that month. And now we're, we're at like eight or $9,000 a month. Wow. Um, you know, which isn't a ton. You were, we're at like 10 to 20% profit margins. So, you know, for 20, 2019, I think we made like $8,000, but you know, this is a business. I only spend like, I don't know, one to two hours on a month. Right. You know, yeah, that's nice. So, it's, so it's, and, and we really haven't put that much time into it. Like I have a friend who started on Amazon full time, the same time I started, um, but you know, he, he's ready to sell his business for like a million dollars. Cause he's actually wow. been putting tons of time into it. So, um, there's a lot of potential there and it's, it's not something I put a ton of time into, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but, but that's, that's, that's about, that's what my business is. Well, I know this isn't, you know, private label directed episode, but it's, it's, Good to hear in the sense that you're talking a 10 to 20% margin. So I'm real quick, we'll move on into the tax stuff, but you know, you're talking about, there's a lot of overhead such as pay-per-click. Are you doing some of that? Getting, getting the product itself. Uh, is that pretty much with eating up your 80%? I mean, the product cost, you know, the cost of the inventory. Um, I mean, a huge chunk are the Amazon fees, mm-hmm. the Amazon FBA fees. And then yeah, it, we're not very good with our advertising, but, um, yeah, I mean, you can easily have all your, all your extra margins eaten up by your advertising campaigns. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. One, one thing that kind of resonated with me was what you were saying is you mentioned it from the time that you made your LLC to the time you actually were making your sales. There was, there was a good chunk of time, like over a year in that. So I think what a lot of people, cause we're really big on Peerless podcasts of not selling like the dream of like, get rich quick. You're going to, you're going to find something. Let me teach you in two minutes how to make $50,000 a month. And, and clearly it took a lot of research and planning. So even though you're only putting in like an hour or two a month now, you probably had to like, you spent some time and you did your research and you just get right into it. Um, do you, is that kind of the norm, what you see with most of your clients or, or do you actually find the people who are just actually getting rich really quick? <laughs> Interesting question. 
Yeah, no, I, I see a whole spectrum. You know, I see people who are losing money um, and they may or may not even know it. You know, people who are just breaking even. Um, and there are some people who are doing really, really well. Um, all different models, you know, retail arbitrage, like some people doing FBA stuff. Um, you know, some people doing drop, drop shipping with Shopify stores. Like there's so many different models uh, that people are being really successful with. And and some people are are not being so successful with, and um, we'll probably get into this later. But one of the main reasons they're not um, being successful, usually they don't even know it, and it's because they're not doing a good job tracking their numbers. Mm. And if they were, that would give them the insights immediately, and they could look at it and say, "Oh, I, I lost money this month and the month before. You know, this trend is not good. What's going on?" And then you investigate what's driving that. And then you can make decisions that can change, change your course, change the course of your business. So that that's something that I talk about a lot. All right, Tom, you piqued my interest a little bit. I don't know how much you can share. So out of all the models, which do you find people have had the easiest time picking up and going with it and being, and actually, you know, making money and not just breaking even or, you know, having a loss. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Like, I'm not, I don't consider myself an expert. No, we get that. In, None of us are, but well, you you might be in Taxes. But correct. as far as this goes, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm just an observer. Like, um, I mean, the easiest, like anybody can can go out to Goodwill and and well, maybe not anybody. Like, I would I wouldn't have any idea what what would sell, you know, like a lot of these these people go out there and they they're just flipping through the the racks and they're like, Oh, this will sell for $80. Oh, this will sell for like $52. And they just know, like, mm. like I couldn't do that. So that's not necessarily easy. Um, I don't know. Like, um, it's hard to know. A lot of people say private label is not the way to go anymore, but, um, I don't know if starting a private label business right now in 2020, I just think, yeah, I, I read this article that talked about the gig economy. You know, everybody has a side gig. Mm-hmm. And it said that it estimated that one third of, uh, you know, working Americans have some type of side gig, some type of side hustle. Wow. And I think a lot of those are resellers. Huh. And, you know, more and more is continuing to go um, online. And, you know, the, the pie just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So I think there's opportunity in in each of those models. But yeah, I don't have a good answer as far as which is the which is the best or which is the easiest. I don't know. All right. We always have our disclaimer that, you know, whatever we say can't be taken for anything. Yeah. So we're not legally responsible for anything. Yeah. So that's <laughs> why we asked you because, you know, I'm, I'm, intri- I'm you know, it's, it's funny because I find that there are different people. There are some people that with Amazon right from the bat, they're just able to take off. Right. And there's others from eBay. Right. So that, that's what, that's what piqued my interest because I'm, you know, you say you run the gaming, you're talking about, you have drop shippers and Shopify. You know, I even, I didn't even think about that. That to me, that sounds like a huge mess with like taxes and how, how do you deal with that? And you got different States and you know, it's, it sounds crazy anyways. Okay. All right. Let's get into the taxes a little bit. So my question was, you know, retail and buying and selling has been around since the beginning of time. And so my question is, you know, what makes, you know, e-commerce different than brick and mortar? Is there a difference or is it much of the same just with some nuances? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there are definitely some differences, but overall, from a high level, there's they're really not that different. Like they're more similar than than not. I think. Um, you know, they're they're both inventory based businesses. Like that's the main thing. Like people always ask, well, you know, they'll ask a CPA, you know, do you do e-commerce? But really what they should be asking is like, are you able to, to help me with my inventory based business? Hmm. Um, that's a great, that's a great point. And I mean, if, if they are familiar with a brick and mortar inventory based business, then they should be able to help you with your, um, your online reselling business. But a lot of the times it will, it'll be intimidating to them. You know, they're like, oh, eBay, that's, I, I have no idea how to do that, but really it's not that different. Mm. Um, you know, the, it, yeah, it's just, it's just like anything. It's, it's having a familiarity with some of the details, like one benefit of going to a CPA or, or somebody who's familiar with, with reselling is, um, you know, they'll be familiar. They'll know. I mean, a lot of times somebody I'll ask somebody for some type of report or some type of information and they won't know where to get it. Mm. And I'll say, Oh, just go to seller central and download this report and that'll have what I need. And it takes like two seconds. But, um, you know, if I weren't familiar with Amazon, I'd be like, I don't know where you where to get that. Just, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Do your best. It's funny. I had to Google, like when I first was doing text with Amazon, I had to like Google and then I found some, you know, some Amazon sellers that had come through it. So I get it because really if somebody's familiar with it and makes it a whole lot easier, cause that was, I would say that was like a three hour process mm. for me to find the exact numbers I was looking for at that point in time. So, yeah. So I get that. So what about, um, now I know you're a CPA, you're obviously professional in what you're doing. You, you know how to make sure that, that when people are doing their taxes, they're doing it properly. They're getting the, the write-offs that they can get. They're not over, um, spending, but they're also not, underpaying so they're not you know the irs isn't coming after them i've always pretty much done my own taxes um even my wife was an independent contractor for a while and so we had to like go a little bit step further we had to buy like the deluxe turbo tax you know um is reselling something though where you would say um people should definitely get a cpa or is there a level like a certain point at reselling where it's like you can maybe do your own taxes here but after a certain point is there like a threshold where it's like uh you maybe should see a professional. Yeah, there's no threshold, um, you know, but I don't know. I'll say if, if your sales are above 10,000, you should at least start thinking about it just because it's, it's, it's not impossible, but it's difficult to mess up a tax return that just consists of like a W-2 mm-hmm. or maybe a two W-2s. But once you introduce some type of self-employment, like reselling, all of a sudden you have a separate schedule C, which is your business schedule that has your sales and and your cost of goods sold and all your different expenses, you know, mileage, home office deduction, and, uh, the, the possibility of, of making a a mistake just goes way up. Mm. And and so does the opportunity for additional savings. So it it just increases the like the likelihood of making mistakes. So it's, it really is just about your risk tolerance, you know, like how, how uneasy do you feel about it? Like, I don't know, you know, are you wondering if maybe you're making a mistake? I don't know. There's a lot of things that, that go into play. I'm going to pose a, I'm going to make you choose. <laughs> so of the two, what should, should, what should resellers be more concerned of the amount of money they may be losing by not doing their taxes correctly or the 
possibility of being audited? Which, which should be the greater fear for a reseller? Um, yeah, just that you're, you're missing out on money, leaving, leaving money on the table on your tax return, just because the, the, um, the likelihood that you're going to be audited is so small. And even if you are, you know, there, the IRS is just going to look at one tiny piece of your tax return. Like they might send you a letter that says, Hey, you've been selected for an audit. We're going to look specifically at your mileage deduction and your office supplies, Mm. you know, send us some, some type of documentation that supports the deduction that you're claiming. And if you have some support, you send it to them and, and that's the end of it. Oh, so it's not like Jerry Seinfeld, like when Seinfeld got audited, he needed every, I don't know if you watch Seinfeld at all, but he needed every single receipt for like every meal. And that's all he did. He, sp- he spent like two, three days like, oh, they won't leave me alone. They want my lunch receipt from, you know, 1029. So it's not like that then. Is that what you're saying? No, okay. no, that's hilarious. I, I haven't seen that episode. I have to go back and uh, I'll have to check out those, some of those clips. Well, it's it, thank you for, for saying what you said about the thought, because honestly, that's always been a fear of mine. Um, I, I've known a few people who've been audited and for the most part, it seems like it's been an okay process for them. Uh, but yeah, like y- you often hear horror stories and you see things on movies and TV shows where it seems like if you're audited, your life's coming to an end. Even if you try to do everything right, like like they're going to find something like they're out to get you. But from what you're saying, like one, the risk factor of and the, the, the likelihood of being audited is low and then it's not such a scary thing. So I think that's something our listeners will probably appreciate a lot too. So thank you. Yeah, it's not it's not like somebody's coming to your house and um you know just tearing a, tearing apart your whole business. Most of them are done by the mail. Warrant. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. So hey, so along that line, so one of the questions we get a lot in the DMs. I mean, I would say probably every week I get this question is hey Orlando or hey Mike, you know, I only I don't make that. I this is just a hobby. I I don't even make 20K like, or we've had some other sellers go, I purposely don't make more than 20K. So I don't have to report my taxes at all ever. What what are your thoughts on that? Like, is there ever a time that, I mean, I I know what the answer is. I think we all know, but there's an ethical answer. Yeah. Well, okay. But let's, let's say uh, it sounds terrible. Let's put ethics aside. (laughs) I know. But what, what is the reality? When does the government expect you to report your sales? Yeah, I mean, technically, your the your first dollar of profit is is taxable. Mm. So, like you said, you're not going to get a 1099 from PayPal or from Amazon if you sell less than twenty thousand dollars and have less than two hundred transactions. But that doesn't mean that your your sales or your or your profits are not taxable. It just means that the IRS won't know about them. So you know you could potentially fly under the radar for a while. Uh, and a lot of people do most of them unintentionally, some of them intentionally, but, um, you know, eventually the IRS, I don't know. I don't know what the likelihood is they'll find out, but it it, it just comes down to like, okay, do I want to risk that or not? Yeah. Do you want to sleep better at night? I mean, in California, we're required, even if I sell something on Craigslist, that's cash based, like I have to report that once I get a seller's permit, well, even before that, but I'm required to every single transaction, they have to know about it and they want sales tax. Now there is an ethical line where you decide, are you going to be an ethical person and pay, you know, because we all sign up, you know, and we be, well, well, when we're born as citizens 
to, you know, pay our taxes, which, you know, we're not fans of, but it's part, it is what it is. So, okay. Enough of my diet. <laughs> All right. So what, what would you say? Um, what, I want to ask a question about differences between part-time and full-time, but before I do that is, you know, we have a lot of people that are just brand new. Maybe they just started reselling in the last month. Cause we, we have a lot, especially now that we're on, on TikTok, we have, we have a younger audience that just like they're in college and they're just reselling and they haven't even thought about it. And now, you know, they've been reselling for like the last two, three months. Here comes April. What, what are some non-negotiables that they need to be aware of as they start reselling as far as record keeping? Oh man, I wrote something down for this. Let me see. (laughs) It's on there somewhere because you know, it's kind of, it's one of those things you don't think about, you know, you sell on eBay, like if a job, it's easy because you have a W2 and everything's taken care of for you. But when you're a reseller, like it's on you. So did you start doing that right away, Mike? No, I mean, cause yeah, there's that switch between. You like, might be listening by the way. Where this is like a, a hobby to like, okay, this is more of like a business. And so, you know, knowing that you got to keep some records, but when it's just a hobby, you're not necessarily tracking your mileage. You're not necessarily tracking every single mm-hmm. expense and packing supplies and stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I made a lot of money this year. Um, maybe I should have kept that receipt from Walmart for that bubble wrap, you know? Well, and I think you feel it. And we're just, Mark, just let us know when you found <laughs> your answer. Oh, I'm fine. I got it. Okay. But I just want to share something real quick is you don't realize it until there's a, that one time you do your taxes and you start owing a lot of money and you're like, what did I just do to myself? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, that was my first year. And I remember... I, I think I amended. I don't know what I did, but I went back and I found every single piece I could. I still ended up owing, but I know I lost a lot of money that first year because I wasn't careful about tracking my information. All right. Now, Mark has some better advice to share with our newer resellers. No, it's it's not even better advice. I mean, the, exactly what you were saying. So the the one of the best things you can do is just to um, separate your business activity from your personal activity. And the, the easiest way to do that is just to get a separate account, you know, link it to your PayPal, link it to your Amazon, just have all your business transactions go through there, any credit card payments, all that stuff, because then um, it'll just make your taxes easier. It'll make your bookkeeping easier. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that's the biggest thing. Like it starts with like having a solid accounting or bookkeeping foundation and ideally you're doing it at least monthly and you can see what your numbers are. You can assess your profitability and you can, again, make those decisions that are going to take your business where you want it to go. And then at the end of the year, you know, the icing on the cake is that you're going to have everything ready for tax time. It's just going to be there. You're not going to have to scramble to put everything together. Um, so many people think that um, record keeping is just for taxes like, oh, I got to keep track of my stuff so I can do my taxes at the end of the year. Mm. But that's, for me, that's secondary. Like you want to be keeping records so you can um, be a successful business person. Right. I mean, because those numbers are telling you a story uh, of of exactly what you should be doing to, you know, grow your business. Um, but, but yeah, you reminded me of, I mean, an experience I think probably most of us had. So when I was in college, uh, one summer I did, I did summer sales in California, you know, pest control. Hmm. And, um, you know, I think I made, I think I made like $10,000 that summer, which was pretty good hmm. for a, I don't want a 20 something year old. Yeah. And, and when I, <clears throat> when I was, um, doing my taxes, 
I owed like, I don't know, like $1,500 or, or something that just seemed like so much money to me mm. back then. And there were penalties. And I was like, what? Like, how do I owe so much? And why are there are these penalties? And, um, you know, it's, it's because of self-employment tax and all this stuff that I didn't know about. And, you know, probably millions of new business owners have that same experience every year. And is that kind of what I, I, I don't want to assume, but is that what got you into accounting? You're like, look, all this money here, I'm going to do this right from now on. Did you just like have a love for money after that <laughs> and kind of keeping numbers or was that something you've always uh, been interested in? Um, not necessarily. I just, I just kind of did went to business and then accounting because I don't know, I, I didn't want to do science and I didn't want to do math. And I just, I just sort of ended up there. Nice. Well, you're in a good place and you're yeah. here to help us all. So That's right. Appreciate yeah. that. Now you, men- out. you mentioned, um, <clears throat> like the bookkeeping and, and having a separate bank account. And I remember the day that my wife and I opened up our business bank account, like we did a little celebration, like, man, we're, we're doing like, we're doing this for real now. Like this went from a hobby to like a business. Um, now there's a lot of programs people use. You mentioned QuickBooks at the beginning. Um, and I know you also have like some spreadsheets. I, I hear your name come up all the time in the community. People are using sometimes modifying, but often using like a base, some spreadsheets that you've made for keeping track of inventory and that kind of stuff. Um, so would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about that, those tools and other tools that might be available like QuickBooks that people should be using, especially, I mean, this is a, a brand new start, even some veteran resellers who maybe haven't did, did very well with, you know, bookkeeping and accounting before, like what are the recommended tools that you have? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll back up a little bit. So when, um, well with, with inventory, so historically, um, the way that you have the, the required way to deduct your inventory has been when you sell it. So you purchase your inventory and it becomes an asset on your books. And then when you sell it is when you can deduct it. So that's always been the rule for retail businesses, um, generally. And, um, you know, that changed a little bit just last year when, when the tax reform went into effect. So now we have the option to deduct our inventory when we purchase it. So that's the cash method for inventory. Um, and I think that was maybe unintentional, an unintentional result of the legislation, but, um, so, so, uh, backing up to, to the original way, which is still the way that I recommend because it helps you assess your profitability more. So when you deduct your inventory, when you sell it, then you're matching that deduction to the associated sales. Right. So it's like just a more accurate profitability. Um, so in order to deduct your stuff, when you sell it, you have to keep track of your inventory. Like you have to keep track of how much it costs. So then when you sell it, you can add up all those costs of goods sold for that month. So that's what my spreadsheets are intended to help people do. Um, they're, they're basically, basically, inventory trackers that help you, um, manage your cost of goods sold. And, um, I found that it's generally easier to manage or to keep track of your, your inventory in a spreadsheet, at least when you're starting out rather than within some type of bookkeeping system like QuickBooks, Mm -hmm. because it just gets really tedious, um, to enter things in individually. Um, so what you do is you keep the detail offline in a spreadsheet and then monthly you just update your inventory and your cost of goods sold numbers in total. Nice. So that's, 
that's what a lot of new resellers end up doing is having some t- t- a combination of maybe an inventory spreadsheet and uh, a bookkeeping system like QuickBooks or like Zero or Wave Accounting is a free one. GoDaddy Bookkeeping yeah. is a simpler and, and cheap one. Um, QuickBooks Self-Employed is like GoDaddy Bookkeeping. Like there's there's a bunch and there's no one size fits all. You kind of have to find the one that that works best for you. You know, not everybody's comfortable with Quick, QuickBooks Online. There's a lot of different capabilities and, um, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, just it, it's too much for some people. So it just, it just depends. Nice. No, and where could people find your uh, your spreadsheets if they are interested in 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 looking at those, maybe using those as either a template yeah. or just using it completely? Yeah, so I've got a couple um, free spreadsheets and they're on my website, notyourdadcpa.com. And um, I think I, I have a section just called uh, resources for online sellers. And um, just on that page, you can go there and, and download them. Nice. All right. So I got a... Uh... I don't know, I guess an example or scenario to run through you. So let's say, uh, you know, there's an individual like, you know, somebody like Orlando in an alternate universe and he, he sources a lot. So, you know, he'll go a whole day and he'll source maybe 200 items. But then the next day he goes to a garage sale and he's a bulk buy and he ends up buying another 200 items. Right. And then another deal, like somebody texts him and says, Hey, you know, Da, 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 come on over. I really, I need to offload the stuff and they go over and they pick up another three to 400 items. Right. So we're talking about a lot of stuff within a few days. Would you, st- I mean, I would say, I'm guessing you would say that the, you're talking about the accrual method. Is that what you're talking about? When you're talking about counting it when it sells, right? A-C-C-R-U-A-L. I think I spelled that right. And cash would be, you just count the cost of all that stuff. Right. And whether it sells or not, you can still count it. Is that what we're saying here? Right. Still just deduct it all at once. Yep. Okay. Now that was, that wasn't always the case. So I, I know for, I've, I think I've done accrual this entire time and it's, it is cruel. <laughs> like if you don't do bookkeeping, like it, it's a pain. So, but what I'm hearing you saying, and I just want to make sure I got this right. Cause I know there's a lot of listeners out there that are not as intense as Mike is and, or like a lot like Orlando who, you know, cause I, I struggle, like I'll buy, you know, a huge bulk buy and there's, there's little trinkets in there. There's, you know, I'll give you an example. I bought a whole railroad bulk buy, right? So there was railroad cars, there was tracks, there was trinkets, there was junk that I sold on the side. I offloaded this for cash. This sold on eBay. Some went to Amazon and it's like, it's all over the place. Right. And I think about the hours that that bookkeeping would keep now I've done it, but it's a pain. So you're saying cash could save you time, but you may, well, or you will lose money. Is that what we're saying here? And you won't lose money. It's just a timing issue. I mean, okay. you'll, you'll deduct everything now, but in the future you'll be, um, you won't have that. You won't have that deduction to offset your sales. So, you know, you'll, you'll save on taxes now, but you'll be taxed more later. And if you were doing it the other way around, then it would just, you know, be switched. So it's just a timing issue. Yeah. Okay. So, so you pay do now have, or pay later is kind of the true, true. But you do, but you do have to have a set number January one of what your inventory is, correct? To actually track that correctly. Am I right about that? Um. Yeah. I mean, unless. I mean, you could just track everything individually, and just 
add up the cost of goods sold as you sell it. So then you'll just have your exact number. But there's another way to track it where if if you know your beginning inventory number and you know the the amount of your purchases and then and then you know the your ending inventory number if you subtract that number then you can you can calculate your cost of goods sold that way okay so let kind me of just like an average i feel like we're putting in the hot tea mark so tell me back off if we are all right no, so, it's all good. <laughs> so i i'm just trying to say because this, this is a problem i ran into I think my second year of, of really, this is my like seventh year of really reselling second year full time. But my second year, I remember going to my tax person and now we're good. Like she understands how things work and you know, I, I know what she wants and she yells at me every January. And, um, I remember she's like, Oh, so how much inventory did you start with? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Like, I, I don't know. Like, She's like, did you buy all this stuff last year? I'm like, I don't know. I've had stuff listed for like four years. Like, I, I don't know where to start. So what would you tell that individual that, you know, just now they're realizing that they, they want to go accrual method and they have like four years of inventory that they don't even know how to process that. I mean, they have hundreds of thousands in storage units and so on. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just have to sometimes there is an an element of estimating like sometimes you have to make an estimate and that's the best you can do um but but usually you can you can come pretty close by just piecing together whatever records there are whether that be bank statements or receipts or you know i i feel like i can always get it with within at least 80% um and and if you are using the accrual method for inventory there are different there are different ways of tracking it too. You don't have to track everything individually. You can use more of like an average costing method. Oh yeah. I've seen um, that. Can you explain that for our listeners? I mean, it's, you know, it's easier if you're actually looking at, like I have, I have an average costing spreadsheet. Um, so that's one they could check out and I have a, a video linked to it. It's okay. just a, you know, a three to five minute video. And I show you how the spreadsheet works. And as you see it, you're like, Oh, okay. I get it. It, it just kind of it tracks what the average cost is of everything you've sold, and it just kind of moves up and down as you enter, you know, the, the new purchases and the new um, sales. But but you're not entering individual items; you're just entering the total quantity sold and the total like amount. I think I'm getting that right, but okay, yeah, they they can check that out if you want. Nice. And, and so what I'm kind of hearing from you is with the, with the accrual method, um, one of the benefits besides just the fact that um, you're getting the deductions now. So it's not like you're, you're potentially like, hey, I saved a bunch of money on taxes this year, but the next year, like, wow, I sold all this stuff that I've already took the deductions for. So now I owe a lot more. So another benefit, though, is just the information that you have week to week or month to month of, of, like you said, being able to spot the trends, being able to say like, hey, maybe I'm selling electronics and I'm actually starting to lose money here, but I'm making money in clothes. Whereas if you're doing the cash method, you might not have as much data or inventory to use to kind of guide your purchasing and, and selling strategies. Is that correct? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because if I go out, if I'm using the cash method and I go out and buy $10,000 worth of inventory, um, I don't know if, and if I don't make any sales that month, I'm going to show a $10,000 loss. You know, did, did I really lose money that, that month? You know, not really. I just, I stocked up on a bunch of inventory that I'm eventually going to convert into sales and cash. So it's, it's, it's not as representative of your profitability. Okay. And one more question on that, because this is, 
I don't know. You've seen it. You've seen this. I've seen this on forums. This is the most debated. Like, if you go to Reddit and people are talking taxes, accrual. No, you can't do accrual. You can't do. You can do cash. And and actually, the fact that this just changed is a big deal because I think up until that point it was only accrual, and now you're saying that that cash is possible. So I know the question that some of our listeners may be thinking is, can I switch? And how mm-hmm. often can I switch? Yeah, it it was it was already confusing. Um, and like, you wouldn't believe the amount of hours I spent like reading just this really painful literature and stuff. And I, I wrote, I wrote, um, I mean, I put a blog on my website just to write this article about if, if you can expense your inventory when you purchase it. And, um, you know, that one, that one blog post gets a ton of traffic and, um, I've updated it since they changed the laws. Uh, and I feel like I have a pretty good handle on it. Um, I'm trying to remember what you asked me. I was going there. The, the, the question is, can you switch mm. back? Can you switch? And how often can you switch? Yeah. So you can, you can switch from the, from accrual to cash or cash to accrual, but you know, technically you're supposed to fill out this, it's called a form 3115. And it's just like this crazy long form. And it's, it's really complicated because it accommodates a lot of different things that that you can do and and one of them is this switch um but yeah technically you have to fill out this form and submit it with your tax return and i i want to say you can't switch i mean once you change you can't do it again for five years wow and i mean honestly most most small sellers who do switch they probably don't fill out that form and you know nobody ever knows now, when you say small seller, is there a threshold when you say small seller? Um, uh, no, I mean, it, or I like a, under a hundred K. I mean, you know what I mean? Sky's the limit. Cause for somebody, you know, 10 K is a big seller or a hundred K or a million is. So are we, t- are we, I'm just going to, I'm going to force Mark into a number. Is it under a hundred? Yeah. Under a hundred, under a million. Small seller. Yeah. Okay. We're always going to be business. small fries, man. No, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. We're just, we're helping people with the side hustle and go to full time. All right. All right. Hey, thanks, Mark. All right. I got more questions, but Mike does. This. Okay. Yeah. So just real quick. So um, I, I'm really good at like keeping receipts and, and things like that, especially when it comes, or I try to be when it comes to like getting inventory, uh, if it's a, ever retail arbitrage or something like that. Now, one of the problems we run into, um, and I, I've, have a solution that I think works okay for me, but maybe you have a better suggestion. Uh, so when it comes to like garage sales and I'm picking up inventory, um, what I what I'm currently doing is I've got a little like receipt book and I plan out my route. And sometimes I'm stopping at twenty or thirty houses, and I'll just write down the address of maybe two or three of the houses. Um, even if I buy things at six or seven of the houses, um, I try to keep track of just basic notes of the items and the, the amount I'm spending, and then I file that away. So it's not like perfect, like this pair of shoes came from this house. Um, but is is that an appropriate way of, of having receipts for um, things like garage sales? We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. You're not getting a receipt from, or is there a better method for doing that? Yeah, so especially with cash purchases, I mean, you can only work with you know what you got, like the, the best you can do in those instances is, is exactly what you're saying. Like keep a little logbook, um, you know, write what the item was, where you were, how much it was, the date. And I, I think for that kind of stuff, that's all you need. And, and really, 
I mean, it's good practice to keep some type of substantiation or documentation for, for all your purchases, but technically you don't actually need receipts for items that are less than $75. Okay. Um, with the exception of lodging. Um, but it's, it's funny because you, I mean, generally you do want some type of documentation, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a receipt. Mm. So just like a day or two ago, I posted on Instagram, this, this uh, post that said, you don't need receipts. Oh, I saw that. And uh, you know, one girl, she said, this is misleading. And I said, well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's just meant to dispel the misconception that you have to have a receipt. Like it doesn't have to be a receipt. It could be a bank statement or it could be an invoice or just like something that you didn't create that shows that that transaction uh, is legitimate. So Instagram you know? story wouldn't count. <laughs> just, just, just I, you know, I just joke around Mark because for the last year I've done every garage sale with the Instagram stories. So I'm like, oh, hey, funny. if I ever need a track and I forget something, I'll just go back to my IG archive and yeah, that's you, how much I spent can that Can you day. imagine sending the IRS like hundreds of hours of Instagram stories and like, here you go. Like, just saying, hey, it's 2020, you know? All right, sorry. I, I, don't, I don't see why not. I mean, they're just trying to get evidence that that transaction actually took place. There you go, right. see? Maybe maybe that's not a bad idea. Even like when you get into your car and you throw the stuff in, like just real quick video, like bought these items. I do it at, at the house. end of recap of every yeah. garage. I'm like, I paid this much for this stuff. This is what I think it'll go for. So, you know, yeah. anyways. All right. So, Mark, so question, is there a difference? And I know the answer, but, you know, this is all rhetorical. We're all learning here. Is there a difference between the way a part time seller and a full time seller should approach taxes? Yeah. I mean, they're not too different. You know, you're, you're both going to have to pay income tax on your profit. You're both going to have to pay self-employment tax. Um, you know, if you're full-time in theory, you're making more money. So maybe you'll owe more tax. Um, so one, one implication, like if, if you're only a part-time seller, that implies that maybe you have another full-time job and, um, maybe at that full-time job, you have access to employer sponsored healthcare. So if, if you do have access to employer-sponsored healthcare, you're not eligible for the self-employed health insurance deduction. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's right. So, you know, if you're a full-time seller, then you can deduct your, um, your health insurance premiums that you pay as part of the self-employed health insurance deduction. So there, there are a few things like that, that, um, could make a difference. Now, for instance, somebody like me, so I'm, I am I have a full-time job and then I kind of do this on the side. Um, so when I do my taxes, do I still have to do self-employed taxes for selling stuff online? Or um, is that only if that's your only source of income? Um, yeah, same thing. Like you, you would also, you'd be subject to self-employment tax. You'd, you'd, assuming you're both sole proprietors, you would have to fill out a Schedule C mm -hmm. on your individual 1040 tax return which is um, for self-employment activity, whether it's part-time or full-time, I don't think they make a distinction. Mm -hmm. right. right. But there's also the estimated tax that a full-time seller has to, they should be paying every quarter, correct? Uh, that's a good question. So you, I, I, you, can I stop you real quick? It just, it's interesting because there's no definitive black or white answer. 
Yeah. Taxes right? seems like a kind of a gray area where you got to kind of navigate depending on situation. Oh, it's just, it's driving me crazy because I'm not you, Mark, but it's just, I, I get it because I go through this every year. Like, can I deduct this? Well, I don't know about that. How about this? And it's just, anyways, okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, I get it. Cause every time, I mean, I deal with that every time somebody asks me a question, I want to give them a simple answer and I'm like, okay, how deep into this should I go? So you could be a, you could be a full-time reseller or a part-time reseller and still technically be required to submit quarterly estimated tax payments. Mm. Um, so, you know, so w- when you have a full-time job, your employer is withholding uh, income tax and social security, and Medicare from you. And they're, they're submitting those taxes on your behalf throughout the year. So then when you start reselling or, or when you go out on your own, um, that that responsibility is now yours. You're supposed to submit those taxes throughout the year. And you or you do that in the form of quarterly estimated tax payments. So let's just, so let, let's say you're a part-time reseller, you have a full-time job, um, and maybe you're doing really well with your part-time reselling business. Even though you're having taxes withheld from your full-time job, you still might owe quarterly estimated tax payments from your reselling job mm-hmm. just based on the amount that you're selling. It's terrible. You know? Sorry. I just, I went through all this when I, when my part-time became more than my full-time income and it was just, it was a mess. So Mm -hmm. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So the, the, the simple rule of thumb there is if you, if you're going to owe more than a thousand dollars of income tax, federal income tax at the end of the year, then the IRS wants you to pay that throughout the year. Okay. And if, if you don't, you just, you might be subject to some penalties. And there are some exceptions to that, um, you know, but there's, there's always exceptions. <laughs> yeah. So we talked a lot, uh, just, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk more about the, the negative aspects of having to pay into taxes and things like that. Um, but there's also, like you said, the benefits of, of having your own business and the different write-offs. What are some of the main write-offs that resellers can, can use? And then what are some of the ones that maybe uh, people aren't actually writing off because they don't think about it? Yeah, so I mean the the biggest deduction generally for resellers is going to be your inventory. So in the form of cost of goods sold. So that's I mean that's why inventory is such a big deal and why you want to make sure you have an accurate um, valuation or value, uh, accurate cost of of the inventory that you've sold, depending on the method that you're using. Um, another one that is has a lot of potential that a lot of people miss is just your mileage. You know, so many people are out sourcing inventory in other cities, maybe other States, and they're racking up all these miles and uh, sometimes they're not tracking them. And it's, it's so easy these days because, you know, in the olden days you had to keep a logbook and you had to write your, where you started your destination, like odometer readings, like how many miles location. And now you can just get an app that does all that for you and you don't even have to think about it. So it's so easy to keep track of your mileage. And um, let's see in, in 2020, you get 57 and a half cents per mile. Last year was 58 cents per mile. And you know, you, you drive 10,000 miles a year, which a lot of my clients do. That's, that's 58, a $5,800 deduction. Wow. Yeah, that's good. And one thing that I'd maybe tell the, our listeners, cause I, I went through this, I, I, um, last year ended up getting an app like that so I can keep track of my mileage. But there was a long period of time that I wasn't tracking mileage 
But luckily, and I know every phone is different, but I on my phone, um, I have an Android, so I've got Google Maps installed, and I never deactivated for it to just automatically history for my maps. And because my GPS is on, I'm able to go back day by day at certain times, and it shows you your exact route. So maybe that's something people can do too, even if they weren't tracking their mileage, is they can just look at their history on their their phone's maps. And a lot of times it will show you mm-hmm. times, where you went, when you stopped, how many miles total. Um, so that might be a useful thing. Now, when it comes to to like write-offs, like, okay, mileage they can do. Um, what about other things like eating out, things like that? When is that able to be a tax write-off? And when is it like, sorry, that's just, you're, you're buying lunch. You, you can't write that off. Yeah, meals is a big one. I mean, generally, if if you incur an expense um, in the course of your business, it's going to be deductible. But meals is sometimes the exception to that. For for a meal to be deductible, it has to be, or typically has to be part of. It can be part of either like business travel when you travel outside your city and you have an overnight stay somewhere. Um, you know, if it has a business purpose, then then that's going to be those meals are going to be deductible. Or if you have some type of business meeting, you know, meeting with a business purpose and it can't, it can't be by yourself. It has to be like with a a partner an employee or a client or something. So, so that means that most of our meals are not deductible because we go out sourcing and we stop at, you know, Chipotle or whatever, like, you know, you're not outside your city and you're not necessarily having a business meeting. So those aren't, aren't going to be deductible. See, that's why I eat best when I'm on the road. So <laughs> yeah. I, I always go to LA and it's good, you know. And then you get your tax right I, I eat well in LA. All right. Hey, so I had a question. And I, you know, again, I know we're dealing in the, uh, in the unknowns at times. So eBay, you know, this last year said they'll be collecting t- taxes, right? Amazon has said the same. So can you explain what that means for those new sellers? Because, you know, because sometimes we'll get like, we'll sell something and it'll be grayed out how much they collected. And sometimes it's not grayed out and it ends up going into your PayPal. So can you explain some of that? Yeah. So that, that has to do with sales tax, okay. which is completely different from income tax. Okay. Um, you know, the, the states want their cut of your sales. Um, most states have implemented what are called marketplace facilitator laws. And those laws require that the plat the big platforms collect and remit the sales tax for us, whereas before the responsibility was technically on us as the sellers and not the platform. Um, and I, I guess they're saying that the platforms are the sellers, so they should be the ones collecting and remitting the sales tax. Um, so there's just a few states at this point that don't have those in effect. Like I know Florida is one of the holdouts. Like eBay and Amazon are not collecting sales tax for people in Florida at this point, at least for their Florida sales. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. For for most of us, we don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't know. I, I don't know how much detail you want me to go in, but like, if I were in Florida, um, if I made a sale to somebody in Florida, technically, I would be responsible for collecting that sales tax and and sending it on to Florida. But if I'm in Florida and I make a sale to somebody in um, California, then I don't have to worry about that. So we have a lot of, obviously we're based in California and we have a lot of listeners from California. So in California, it used to be that every January you had to, the con- the controller would send you this thing and say, Hey, pay up your sales tax. So are you saying that, and you can say, you know, you can say, I don't know, because, <laughs> but in California, is that no longer the case? Wait, what would they send you? 
So the control, the controller, it used to be a different office. Now it's the, I think it's the state controller sends you something and says, Hey, you have to pay sales tax on, on uh, your eBay sales. Right. So, but eBay is supposed to be remitting. I, I'm thinking that's the word, right? The taxes. So is that no longer the scenario with eBay and Amazon? Is that what we're saying? Like if a state similar legislation? Yeah. So I think um, California went live in October, I think. So oh, yeah, um, that's right. And for, for people, well, so here's the, here's the complication. So if you were already registered for sales tax, even though the platforms are doing the work for you now, California is going to see that you're registered and they're still going to expect you to file a sales tax return, even though you're not going to owe any sales tax. Mm, okay. So, you know, yeah, yeah. California went after people, man, for, for, um, for a lot of that stuff. But like if a lot of people work with wholesalers or vendors and um, if you show them a reseller certificate, then they're not going to charge you sales tax mm -hmm. because, you know, you're buying it for resale and, and the ultimate customer is the one who you're, who's um, going to pay the sales tax or you're going to collect it from them in theory. So anyway, if, if you want a reseller, a reseller certificate to avoid paying sales tax to get that certificate, you have to register for sales tax. Correct. Uh, even though the platform is doing all the work for you and you don't owe sales tax, now the state is going to expect you to file a sales tax return, even though you're not going to owe tax. So it's it's just kind of like it's uh it's a a check in the box kind of thing. It's the price you gotta pay to have a a reseller certificate and avoid paying sales tax on your inventory purchases. I don't know if that made sense, but uh it's, it's crazy. I know, but but let's say you did, let's say you did pay the sales. Let's say you didn't get your reseller certificate. That sales tax can be counted into your cost of goods, correct? Yeah. So if, if I purchase inventory and they charge me sales tax, that just becomes part of the total cost of my inventory. So, so which is better? <laughs> is it better to have the reseller certificate and not pay it up front when you're buying the inventory or to have it be part of your cost of goods? Um, to, to avoid paying it, you know, cause you know, if, if I pay, if I can avoid paying $5 of sales tax, it's $5 I get to keep in my pocket or it becomes part of my, the cost, I, it becomes part of the cost of my inventory and I can deduct it. But that, that deduction is just, it will translate into a portion of, of that right. $5. Right. You know what I mean? No, it's super important to know. I mean, that's something I went through myself. I mean, not till this, I'm going to just admit it here because I'm always real, but not till this last year did I did I actually start putting my seller permit into use, mm. and it's because of that reason. Because of deduct, I started looking at. It, I'm like, huh, I lost a lot of money. But so. you know, it's 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 not going to be relevant for a lot of people because a lot of people are just going to Goodwill or or Walmart mm -hmm. clearance and buying their stuff there, and and they're retailers. They're not wholesalers, so they may or, they they may not honor your reseller certificate there. No, very true, very true. And out here, there's things are becoming even more stringent as far as with the reseller certificate and all that. So mm. um, real quick, just so, um, and I know there's, it's, it's very complicated when you're starting to talk about, you know, lots of inventory, lots of money, lots of different uh, like deductions and, and costs and all of these things. Uh, but if we were just to give like a basic sample example, uh, if someone were to have, let's say bought an item for a hundred dollars, they sell it for 150 and that's all they did for the year. Right. So their net profit is 50. Um, if we were to pretend there were no fees or anything like that. So they got $50. So when they pay taxes, are are you've got the deduction, but are you 
paying taxes on the 150 minus some deductions that don't actually equal $100 that you're not paying? Or are you only paying taxes on the $50? Um, the, you, you, I mean, you're paying taxes on the, on the $50 on your profit. Okay. There you go. Yeah. No, I just wanted to like, just so for our listeners to know, like when they're, when they're, why it's so important to keep bookkeeping and to know what the cost of goods were specifically. Um, and so we're looking at the, the basically your net income is what you're paying the taxes on. So even if you're got a $20,000 worth of sales in a year, but only $5,000 of that is net, that's what you're looking at potentially um, doing the deductions from or having to pay taxes on. So it's not quite as, as scary as it might seem like, oh, I'm going to have to pay taxes on $20,000. Well, it's not exactly that, right? Yeah, I mean, and and a lot of people don't realize that. You know, they'll ask me like, "What what can I what can I deduct? Can I deduct my PayPal fees?" I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." Can I deduct my office supplies? Yeah, like you can deduct all your business expenses. Like that's what a business is. You're, you're taxed on your profit. You want to deduct everything that you spend. Um, you know, for the most part. So, and and you might even end up with a loss, which offsets your other income, you know, from your day job and you could pay less taxes overall. Now, how long can you do that? Cause I know, um, when my wife was an independent contractor, it was kind of nice because we had money coming in, but we had enough deductions. I mean, we didn't scam the system or anything, but there was enough things like mileage is actually really nice. And I know I appreciate like, you clarifying that, <laughs> but I, I know like realistically, like it, my, the mileage deduction isn't like free money because you are putting wear and tear on your car. You're just going to have to buy a new car sooner, all of those things. Um, but there were times where it was like our, it, it came out as a loss for the year, but we had money in our pocket from the business and, you know, we did okay, but there was enough of the deductions that it kind of, it, it kind of came out as a loss. So, um, but I remember reading at the time that you can only do that for like three years with a business or something. And it might be different now, uh, yeah. before the IRS then says, this is no longer business. You can't do this. It's a hobby. So is there something in place like that where you can only do losses for so long? Yeah. So there's, it's called, I think it's the, like the hobby loss rule. So if, if you show a loss three out of the last five years, the IRS might say, Hey, you're, you're not actually a business because look at all this money you're losing. Um, so, so that's a risk. Um, but if, if you can just show them, well, no, look, you know, here's my books. I'm actually trying to make a profit on this. They're, they're not gonna, um, they're not gonna reclassify you as a hobby. Um, and that brings up another good question. Like what's the difference between reporting your income as a hobby and a business? Hmm. So like a lot of people think, oh, it's just a hobby. So I don't have to report my income, but actually any income you make from a hobby, you do have to report and any deductions that are part of that hobby or any expenses you incur as part of the hobby are not deductible. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a big deal. So, so you, you want to be a business, want, not a hobby. Yeah. Bingo. Totally. Now like, I'm throwing this out there. This is interesting. So three out of the five years. So let's say you have this, um, people are going to go, you're talking about yourself. I'm not talking about me, but uh, you have a reseller, sure. you have a reseller who has constantly been losing, right? They, they're reaching this dream. If they're full time, can the IRS really say, Hey, it's not a business. I mean, they can, but I mean, if you've been making any kind of good faith effort to like act like a business by, you know, having a business bank account, having the right business structure, keeping your books in decent shape, 
then I don't think you'll have a hard time getting them to back off. Okay. You know, some businesses have losses for years and years and years. And and I, I've never really seen that be an issue. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, you know, there's, you hear stories about businesses that it took several years until they finally started making profit. So I find it interesting that it's a three-year limit where I've heard business, I've, you know, you hear that comment saying like it takes five years to finally break, you know, and start making money. So I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Where, where that becomes an issue is if, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's somebody who like, enters like cake baking contests at the fair or something. And, um, you know, sometimes they win prizes and to avoid paying tax on those prizes, they'll deduct all the ingredients or whatever on, on, uh, you know, on their schedule, their business schedule C, you know, it's, it's not really a business. So the IRS could, could look at that and say, eh, sorry. Yeah. Especially if they're like, really going crazy because I know there's some people who probably try and make money on taxes by doing things like, yeah, like I went on vacation and I entered this contest and I'm going to write off my airplane ticket and I'm going to write off this. And they're actually making money at the end of the year. It's like, yeah, I had a $20,000 loss in my business and they've got a full-time job. And so that $20,000 loss offsets, you know, the the income tax for their full-time job. And next thing you know, they're getting a, a larger return. So I could see where the IRS would say, okay, that doesn't count. So you yeah. can't go to a thrift store in Hawaii and just count that as a business expense. Is that what we're saying here? No, I think you can. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think you can. <laughs> I just I was kind of joking around, but I I want to hear. Oh it. yeah, when I went, I, I drove up to Colorado. I actually drove through Utah uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we were stopping on thrift stores on, along the way. We stayed the night one night in in Nevada. Um, both directions going and coming. And so we're planning because the whole trip and when we filled up our car, we filled up this bag on the top of our car. So we're planning on marking off, you know, that mileage and that the the inventory that we bought along the way because we were sourcing places that we couldn't get. We, we bought brands. I mean, the jacket I'm wearing right now is something I sourced while I was out there. So, you know, I mean, is that that's an okay thing to do? Like if you're like, okay, I want to, I want to source new areas. I want to see, I hear there's good thrift stores here. Is that a fair thing to do? Or is that maybe pushing it a little bit? I mean, there are definitely definitely ways you can push that, but you know, if if I'm going to Hawaii specifically with the specific in, like with a, the primary purpose of sourcing inventory that maybe is harder to get elsewhere, um, I can deduct you know my plane flight over to Hawaii and my plane flight back, and any any days that I'm out sourcing, um, you know, from my hotel or whatever, I can deduct that round trip mileage. Um. But if my primary purpose is to go to Hawaii and, and vacation, mm. then I can't deduct the plane flight over to Hawaii. But if I source for a few days while I'm there, I can deduct that local mileage. You know gotcha. what I mean? So it just, it just depends. Hmm. So when you take the kids to Disneyland, go to a thrift store every day. Yeah, that's the goal. Well, you would, you, you'd have to say you're going to Anaheim to do sourcing. You can't be going to Anaheim to go to Disneyland. That's true. Bingo. That's true. Disneyland's the... Side activity. <laughs> there you go. All right. I love how we're getting to the details. All right. Hey, that's the stuff that matters, man. It is. It's the okay. details. So to, what do you, okay. So we, I wanted to keep it pause, but I want to know what, what have been some of the biggest mistakes you've seen? I mean, I know it's been record keeping, but is there anything outside of record keeping that's like something that you clearly have seen resellers do that we should avoid at all costs? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is just not, not keeping track of anything when you're scrambling at the end of the year. Um, so, 
I mean, here, here's an example that happened just a few weeks ago. So somebody did their, um, they did their own taxes with TurboTax, which is usually fine. You know, it, it usually does a, a decent job, but he had, he had a couple of vehicles. So he had a few different side businesses and he used his vehicles in each of them. And he like tried to depreciate them in, in the business. I don't know, in each of the different businesses, but TurboTax like didn't know how to handle that. So it only, it only assigned the cars to one of the businesses mm. instead of all of them. And I looked at, I was looking at his tax return and, um, and it didn't look right. But anyway, we ended up amending it and, you know, he got back like $5,000 because TurboTax oh, wow. didn't, wasn't able to catch everything. So, you know, they're really like, like specific things like that, where people mess up and they have no idea. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just there, keep, there's, keep track. Yeah. Keep track of your stuff. There, there are so many different ways to mess up. And, um, <clears throat> I think also it helps to, to just take a little bit of responsibility to, to learn a little bit about, um, bookkeeping about taxes. Like you don't have to know, you don't have to know everything. You just want to learn a little bit so you can, I don't know, just have exposure so you can talk to your CPA about it or, or just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's going to, a little bit of education is going to go a long way. I think that's great advice because no matter who you run into, I mean, unless it's somebody like Mark, like I remember with my tax person, I knew enough that I could ask the questions that then mm-hmm. she would go later research and get back to me. Had I not, you know, known some of those things, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. So a hundred percent agree with you, Mark, on that, because there, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, no matter how many times people have done a business, there are nuance, nuances to the e-commerce, you know, like using your cell phone, right? Can you use your cell phone as a deduction? You know, the bill that you're paying, can you, how about your Wi-Fi? How about, how about this? How about that? And I'm not giving an answer at all. I'm just saying those are questions that, you know, if you do a brick and mortar, you may not necessarily think about, or if you just had a regular job all the time and you didn't have a company phone, it's things you, you wouldn't have thought about. So. Yeah. So here's another one I thought of real quick. A lot, a lot of people um, think that to start reselling, they have to have like all this stuff in place. Like they have to have their LLC ready from day one, or maybe even have an S corp on day one. And that's advice that some CPAs apparently have given or that people have given, but um, you know, that's, uh, that's often going to be bad advice is especially in California. Like you guys, if you go out and you form an LLC on day one and you're not making any money yet, all of a sudden you find that you're, you're missing $800. Cause that's what California charges for an LLC, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. Uh-huh. California. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, some people think they want to have an S corp and, you know, with an S corp, there are associated payroll costs and there's a separate tax return. So there's all these costs and they're not yet making enough money to realize to benefit from the tax savings that an S corp can, can give you. So there's just, um, you know, people just act on bad advice sometimes and it come back, come back, come, comes back to bite them a little bit. Nice. No, I've heard, I, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, uh, you mentioned like, like being educated on the taxes is important. Um, and that kind of brings me to this idea, like I know you have um, a, a new course that that is launched on on kind of the more finer details on this and just 
bookkeeping and all that stuff, which which to me, I think is one of the number one things. I think that there's probably too many resellers who are kind of just flying by the seat of their pants and they might be making money, but maybe they're not making as much as they think they are. And and in a world where we know information is king, like that's that's all these companies, they, they're they wanting information, whether it's on customers or whatever, because the more information you have, the better decisions you can make and you can, you know, you understand more about the market. So I think programs like you offer are, are beyond helpful. Now, um, maybe you know, maybe this is a no, but things like that. So if I were to take a course like yours or uh, go through some kind of seminar to, to learn a little bit more on how to make contacts or whatever it is, are those types of things tax write, uh, a tax write-off also? Oh yeah, definitely. So that, that's part of like your business education and training. So you can write that stuff off. You can, you can write off my course. I mean, that's, that's, um, you know, 20 or 30% of taxes that you won't have to pay. If that makes sense. Okay. So I want to rewind real quick. I got a few more questions and I know you got to get back to your family, but uh, you had mentioned LLC and S Corp. Now I've, I've heard you in another podcast discuss the idea that sole proprietor being a sole proprietor is, is okay. Like you also LLC isn't like an utmost necessity, right? Most of the time is people that are trying to separate themselves in case of a lawsuit. And is that with that pretty much the main purpose? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's the main benefit is just the liability protection that an LLC can offer you. So, you know, if you're not in a risky industry, if you if your business doesn't have any assets or if you don't have any assets, then there's there's really no risk. You know, if you're selling clothing on Poshmark, you know, the chances that somebody sues you or is just like very small. Okay. So like somebody trips on a dress and things go bad. Okay. All right. I get that. All right. So a question, uh, you know, taxes and reselling. So it's kind of interesting that how much has changed. I would say in the last five years, as far as taxes go in the reselling, I do miss the good old days where I never got messages of I've never paid taxes on anything I, I bought, you know, now, and, uh, you know, in California, anytime anyone from California buys anything from me, they are always paying sales tax, but that's all across the board. Yeah. Do you, do you, and this, maybe this, we already know this, but in, it also depends who's in the office and da, 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 do you anticipate more taxes being ledged against resellers? Or do you think things are coming down now based on, you know, the current administration's, uh, I would say stance on small businesses and so on. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I might not be the best person to ask, but I don't think so. I mean, Sales tax isn't new. It's just, you know, when everything, when e-commerce started growing, nobody knew how to deal with sales tax for online sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so brick and mortar transactions or brick and mortar stores have always had sales tax and, and they're just finally getting around to figuring out how to account for that for online sellers. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, yeah, I don't know. I would just be speculating, but I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, that it was a speculation kind of question, you know. But because uh, I, I just wonder, you know, I feel when when we had to start collecting taxes, I kind of feel like we got away with it for a long time, mm-hmm. right? And now we got to we have to pay the piper, and uh, it was good. I mean, I remember the days where it was just beautiful, like you never had sales tax, and I do feel like it has affected sales from certain states. Uh, especially like California and so on. So, so it's too, too difficult to say anything, huh, Mark? Yeah, I don't know. 
No comment. <laughs> okay, I appreciate your hey, wise man. No, wise there man. you go. There you go. All right. So, hey, do you have any uh, last kind of you know thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners uh, about you know how to make things go well? Yeah, I mean, um, so so you mentioned my course, and like like just today, I was like trying to finalize my sales page, and and you know, I'm writing stuff like you know, this will help you sleep better at night. And part of me is like, okay, is that like a little bit, you know, extremist or a little bit, ex- does that, is that exaggerating? But it's not like I, I talked to somebody just a few days ago and he got some letter from the IRS and he's telling me on the phone, he's like, I'm literally having a nervous breakdown right now. Mm. And like, like people out there are freaking out about this stuff and mainly because they don't understand it. So that's why I was saying like, just with a little bit of education and, and understanding this stuff, you can, you'll find that all that stress and anxiety that you just feel like is this huge weight on your shoulders and on, on your business will, um, you know, disappear. And all that energy that was being used up, stressing out, you can now take that and uh, focus it, refocus it onto the activities in your business that actually matter, that are making you money. So, um, you know, I think drawing that connection from your taxes and from your accounting to how it directly impacts your business and, you know, in turn, like your, whatever your goals are in your life, uh, with that business. Um, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's huge. And not only do you get to sleep better at night and you have the education, but you could write it off. That's like, bingo. That's Absolutely. awesome. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, hey, Mark, thanks so much uh, for joining us on the podcast. Really, I learned a lot. It, it reminded me of a few things that I need to get back to. <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> it's a good soon. time to start. There you go. There 2020. You go. It's, all, it's only, you know, mid-January, but yeah. hey. And can you let us, our listeners know one more time the best places they can find you at? Maybe social media, website, things like that? Yeah. So my website, notyourdadcpa.com. You can contact me through there. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to be active on Instagram. It's just at notyourdadcpa. Um, you know, my course is called reseller tax Academy. You know, if, if you're hearing or seeing this in January, um, it's, it's launching at a sweet price after that, uh, it'll go back up. I don't know. Maybe I can give you guys a discount code or something, but, um, okay. you know, I'm, I'm happy to help anybody who wants to send me a DM or shoot me a message. Yeah. Perfect. And, and this, and you were super helpful. I, I know like right now, I remember when I first started reselling, like I didn't have answers to any of these questions. And it was like you said, like, oh no, what's going to happen? I, you know, I did. I went through the, my first year, I ended up getting a bill later in the summer for another $1,300 because I didn't take care of things. So totally hey, hey I, just a I got to tell you lesson. one more. Oh, okay. So, so this week also somebody, I had prepared an amended return for somebody and they this is a few months ago. And just this week, they sent me a, they sent me a copy of a letter they got from the IRS that said that they owed, you know, a few thousand dollars. And I was like, what? Like, did I mess up? And I was just looking at it and I was like, this isn't right. Like I was looking at the IRS numbers and I was like, this, this self-employment tax number is wrong. And I, I emailed the lady back and I was like, they're wrong. Like you got to call them and tell them that, um, you know, whatever it was. And, and luckily she emailed me back and she was like, oh yeah, my husband called him and they, they found the mistake. Um, so we're, we're good. And I was like, I mean, like, don't assume that you owe the money that the IRS says you owe. Mm, that's good. Like they make mistakes too. No, hundred percent. The awesome. government makes mistakes. No, <laughs> totally. 
So, all right. Hey, thank you so much, Mark. Hey, if you haven't a chance, make sure to follow Not Your Dad TPA on Instagram and also check out his website, notyourdadtpa.com. So thank you so much, Mark. And with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Peace. Peace.